This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Okay, gentlemen, uh, it's uh, Rabbi Lapiansky does not like long introductions. I'm not going to give a long introduction, but, you know, when you give a person a present, you are supposed to let them know that you gave them something of value. And I don't know if everybody realizes the value we have here. Rabbi Lopiansky, my son, told me he spoke at the Mir Yeshiva a couple of days ago, and it was to standing room only with about 600 people there. I understand why Rabbi Lopiansky speaks at the Mir Yeshiva because he's a long-term mirror. He's a son-in-law of the former, of the former Rashiva at the Mir Yeshiva. He's a product of the Mir Yeshiva and has a long-standing relationship there. I understand what Rabbi Lopiansky speaks at a lot of yeshivas which have to do with his own yeshiva, either students who are potentially going to come to his yeshiva or have been to his yeshiva, but why he comes to Machon Yaakov and, uh, and gives us not a 20-minute vort, but an hour of his time is, uh, is just still beyond me, and I want us all to realize the gift that we received there, how unique it is, what a special opportunity it is. Uh, the gentlemen have taken the opportunity to give us questions in advance, um, which uh, have been on their minds, and I'm going to I'm going to moderate and throw the questions out. So let, let me first of all, we do have somebody here, Johnny over there, Atlantean Shiva, oh. and uh, with very special Elul. You have Elul, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, and uh, so that's and we've had over the years traffic Baruch Hashem. Most important. Um, there was somebody here, I don't know if people today know anymore, it's unfortunate, Rabbi Matzir Rosman I go back, way back when, besides the family, Jonathan is Yerodechaim, um, I learned with him when he had just started in Mechon Shlomo, and he was brilliant, so we'd learn Ketos, we'd learn Babakama, Maruba, the Iyun, we had a Seda, this is going back a long time ago, but more than that, I uh, fortunately bumped into him many years ago here, and he um, he uh, undertook to organize all the shurim I had. Now, I am very disorganized for the modeling. He's very organized, was very organized. And he took, it was incredible, his tapes and stuff. It was just stuff just laying around. And he, he is, besides being incredibly brilliant, he had a very structured mind and everything fit into place. I owe him a... a, a a gift that I can't pay back in terms of being able to follow along. He, he set up classifications and, and was very uh, tough on me, tough love, like you have to give me this recording, you have to make that recording, this come out good, you have to make sure you have this recorder, that recorder, that recorder. <laughs> and I, but, but I'm really, it, it, it's an incredible gift. Um, the Alta Slavotki used to say, and if I use words they're not familiar with, call me out on it, um, he said, it says, in the Hodul Hashem that we say on Shabbos, it says, La Hashem who made heavens and earth, for his ever good, as Hashem is one, is two, so for the creation of sun and moon, we owe him one. For structuring it and putting the sun in during the day, and putting the moon into at night, that's two. So he said structure always adds more to the substance. That was how he put it. So it was a tremendous gift, and, and uh, he lived in a short life, unfortunately, but it was incredibly mashpi on people with his new personality. 
to, it's very to me seeing his walls and seeing his people. I, I, I know that it, it, was, it was very meaningful to him, and 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 a big a big part of it is is his seicha Hashem. Okay. Without further ado. Um, Question number one. Many of us grew up with Zionism being our main connection to Judaism and Jewish identity, and it may have been a strong factor in us becoming more observant. How much room is there in the yeshivish Haredi world to be a Zionist and to be passionate about the Jewish state? So, so this is a, um, it's a complex subject, which is very easy if you take one side or the other side, and you either wave the flag or burn it. Those are both of, both of those are equal, uh, are easy to do. More nuanced understanding the process and so on is much more difficult. So uh, let's talk about it. Um, the Jewish people. Well, let's go step further. I said before. Um, when you want to define a people, what makes a Frenchman French? The geography is is very important. So living in France, being a French citizen, is the most important factor. Um, the culture that rises up within that context, some of it has to do with geography, some of it is just the people that are there, the culture, the language, and, and things of that nature. A Frenchman who goes to live in America, so long as he retains his French citizenship and speaks French and is kind of like uh, a fish out of water in America, we still give him the honor of calling him a Frenchman. If he starts, um, if he starts speaking English as main language, deciding to settle in America for good, raising his family in America, um, enjoying beer instead of wine, and other ways of going off the derech, that that, <laughs> that that definitely we begin to think of him as an American. Some people think it's the Malamikot or something more written, but whatever it is, that's what it is. Um, so all all countries have a sort of a, a, a we have a fairly good definition of it. Uh, um, a, a first generation Frenchman in America will refer to himself as French American. I was a Frenchman, and so on. His kid is American. He might tell you my father came from France. His grandchild has zero concept of that. Jewish people is different. So um, we might be living in Germany, might be living in France, might be living in America. But what defines us as a people? We're more than religion. We are a people. Is a geography. We haven't been in our country for 2,000 years. So the definition that we subscribe to is the people of the covenant, which means we have a unique set of obligations, um, so many more mitzvahs than, than other people. We have a covenant with God that if we step out of line, we get slapped back into line because he doesn't want to lose us. So he's not going to let us go till we get lost. He pulls us back into line. That's the core of it. Now, part of it is that the only place where we fully express our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in this land over here. And when HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses to return fully with the base HaMikdash and so on. So there is value to being in Eretz Yisrael, even without Beis Hamikdash, Mashiach, uh, um, Sanhedrin, etc. But the fullness of it will be when they come back, and so on. That's the picture that we have, that we've always had, and we bore in mind. So Eretz Yisrael was special to us for two reasons: the memories. So let's give an example. Imagine 
after World War II, people came back to their home in the shtetl after five years. So the home was all the memories they had, and there may have been a hope that they would somebody else come back until they realized no one's coming back, and usually someone had taken over the house. But that's the sense of it. So Eretz Yisrael is special to us because it's steeped in that meaningful relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, and we know someday this will become the fulfillment of it again. That's the way we looked at it so traditionally, and it was very strong and very powerful. From the 1700s onwards, the, um, the world understanding of life changed. People became rational instead of religious. People began to overthrow the old order in terms of monarchy, aristocracy, and so on. All the, all the, all the, the, the forces of history that were unleashed in the 1700s and, and really came to fore in the 1800s, and the Jewish people went through the same upheaval. The people dropped religion. People, um, there was some sort of uh, move from the nations where we resided to welcome us, to make us equal, with the unstated um, understanding that we become Polish and we become regular citizens. We become French and we acknowledge as full Frenchmen. And a lot of people went that route. They hit a brick wall, and they realized that no matter what, they still don't want you. We're more French than the French, and that's why they don't want us. We're more German than the Germans, and somehow we're still Jewish. And, that's, and that became something that was pushed against. So Jews seek different avenues to find themselves as normal people, and still the strong, latent sense of being Jewish is special. So assimilation, per se, hit a brick wall, or people assimilated totally, but whatever it was, that movement couldn't sustain itself. There were people who looked to socialism, communism, as, on the one hand, making them normal citizens of the world. That would undo... Socialism and communism would take away the terrible, unique hatred towards the Jews, and we would also be fulfilling because to be a communist is to be a full Jew, because that's what Judaism is about. To be a socialist is a full Jew, because that's what Judaism is about. And that was one movement. People became disillusioned. People took a different direction, and they said, "You know what it is? We're, we're, we're not normal. We're living in someone's house. My name is Goldstein, and I'm living in Schwartz's house. There's a limit to how long Schwartz will put up with me, and that's our problem. We come back to Israel. We have a normal country." We have a normal um, government structure. We have a language. We have a culture. We have an army. Religion, it's nice. It's part of one of the things. France has a religion. Catholic, this, that. But it's part of the accoutrements of a, of, of a country. So, first and foremost, to be Jewish is to live in Israel, to become a normal state, and everything else is negotiable. Some people... Dance the horror, some people dance Kazatska, some people dance this, but that's, those are all trappings of it. That was the general Zionist Ruach, and it moved a lot of people. Some section of that group were people that were okay with traditional life. Some people felt the need to destroy traditional life, anything that religion had to offer. Some people sought to, 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 to meld it with socialism and so on. Those were the different strains of Zionism. Now, ha- ha- how did religious people react to it? 
so there were three broad directions. One was, this is another destructive force out. So by telling somebody wearing tefillin is not important, Shabbos is not important, living in Israel is important, Shabbos and tefillin are, are part of the things you may or may not choose to do, but that's not what makes us a people. Since this is, in, in theory, it's antithesis of um, what Torah is about, so the only way to deal with it is to totally excommunicate it or anything that has to do with it. That was one direction. And it, it held a strong community. That's one. The other extreme was, first of all, what what Cook felt was, this awakened a very, very strong sense of Jewish identity. This person only wants to be Frenchman. He wants to be Jewish. He may not understand why he wants to be Jewish, but this is something special. He wants, he wants to be the language. So it may be that he wants to curse in Hebrew, but, but he's already halfway there because now Torah's language is his language. It, the cultural trappings of Israel will be Jewish. And this is a beginning of returning. So they may be returning for other reasons. They may be coming through the back door, but they'll be inside. And we should embrace it, welcome it, and from a very kind of mystical way, this is the way HaKadosh Baruch has planned the return. We may not understand why he started with people who are coming in from the back door, but that's Hashem's zone. That was the other extreme. And somewhere in the middle was people that said, A, we have to acknowledge the facts. There's a country, there's a government, there's an army's net. We have to reach a certain kind of accommodation because we, you can't be in a place and not be in a place. And 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 it's so so much to offer. So we will um, encourage people to live in Israel. We will reach with the government an understanding that in civil matters the government is the one who has to say anything we feel that is a conflict with our religious values. We don't recognize the government. D- different degrees of pragmatic accommodation. That's basically direction. My personal. In the yeshiva world, the yeshiva has been more or less along these lines. We participate in elections because whether you like it or not, it's run by a government. And if you have to be part of the government, you are going to be on the outs. You, 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 you will lose out so many things that you could gain. And it's a fact. You're not acknowledging anything other than reality. Joining a Zionist movement, on the other hand, means I'm willingly stepping in to share ideological values that I may not share. So there, there, there was, there, there more or less, was do not join a Zionist organization per se, but every country has a government. It's a fact of life. It's a reality. It's not that I subscribe to the person's personal ideology. I subscribe to realities. Those have been the main. Uh, that's way I was uh, I was educated, and that's the way we go with it. Understand a Zionism. Both are true. Zionism brought many people to Israel for better or for worse, have some attached to Jewish people. Zionism has also been an instrument for, for, for tearing people away from Yiddishkeit. And the reality is we're here. Etzisol is built up in ways that was unthinkable, what, what, what Etzisol is today. From of what I remember, I came here in 1970. I mean, it was a dusty third world country, and it's robust, dynamic. It has place for people. There is so much Torah learning here and so much Yiddishkeit. And there's tension. And that's the reality. Uh, you know, it, it's not my job, it's not our job to predict and understand exactly what Hashem is doing. 
but we have to deal with the situation as it is. That, those are the feelings that, that I have. Question number two. When you have a doubt <coughs> about God, how do you fight off those unwanted negative thoughts? So fighting off unwanted <coughs> negative thoughts never works. It's the, it's the one way for sure to keep having them. It, it's, it's, a, it's exactly, um, you know, an OCD type of, of thinking. Um, when you tell somebody be very careful because you might slip usually when the person starts walking very gently he'll probably slip because he's, he's, he's aware of his foot's motion that's what he's doing. so being a better way of approaching it is let, let's give an example um, a person gets married so before you get married you sit down and you ask yourself is this the right person for me what are the qualities the person has what are, what are the, 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 the challenges? Where am I? Where am I? And so on and so forth. That's the way you think about it. When a person gets married, it's not that there aren't challenges. It's not that there are intentions. But the feeling is, how do we make it work? And it's a big picture. And in the big picture, some pieces fit perfectly well, and some pieces snap in at the end. And that's how we deal with it. Unless, God forbid, it's, it's really past you know, any ability for, to survive. Akadosh Baruch Hu, Believing and understanding Kaddish Baruch Hu is a huge picture. There are pieces that fall into place readily. There are pieces that take time. And there are pieces that, until after 120, we're not going to have at all. So, thinking of life as a way of building your pieces. And sometimes, it's like when you do a difficult problem, you come back to challenging parts afterwards. And when, when other pieces fit into place, it also falls into place. So, here also, build a big picture the pieces that are easy into place, put into place, the other pieces put on hold. Someday you'll come back to it. You may solve it second time around, not. Maybe third time around. Not, you know, it, it's, as long as we focus on the big picture and keep putting pieces in place, then we, we, we're, we're okay. Uh, by the way, in case anybody is wondering, Rabbi Lopinansky was not given these questions beforehand. This is, <laughs> this is the first time he said Okay, number three. Is there a kosher outlet for sexuality before marriage? If not, how come there is none besides marriage itself? Somehow there's an outlet for almost every craving that you can have integrated into a halakhically permissible fashion. Even for someone who wants to taste kosher, there's fish which tastes similar. What is, what is different from this crave, about this craving that it separates it from all the others? This is even more relevant now in times where the age of marrying is increasing, even in from communities. So uh, um, I, I, it's hard to second guess on mitzvahs, I, I, but I, I'll try to give an understanding I think is is appropriate. Um, one of the most difficult, if we really think, but difficult to comprehend um, bonds is marriage. Think about it. Imagine I came to somebody and I told him, um, "I'd like you to make a partnership with so and so." Basically, undertaking to support the person, to be there in every situation, to tolerate every mood, never to leave the person. I mean, you can, but you know, it's not. It's, it's undone, and and no freedom from this point onwards. Um, uh, the marriage contract that we sign says very little about love, and it's all about obligation. I will work, support, honor, take care of you, and so on and so forth for the rest of my life. Um, it's incredible. It's something that it's hard to think how it would work. who gave us three pieces to snap into place to keep it together. One is 
a very, very, very deep realization that my Nisham is not completely about the other person, that my essence, the other person's essence, these are things that are extremely difficult for us to grasp. We don't live in that realm of Nishamas. Um, it's, 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 and it's something that is usually not something a person can tap in at first. Um, you know, I, I'm always I don't know if amused or, or, or apprehensive when people tell me they found a soulmate. Tell me when you found your soul, and then we can talk about the next one. But, you know, finding a soulmate before you can identify your soul is... is, is but the second piece is important, is the emotional piece. Um, it's always it's astounding they have found, if statistically, people tend to die within close range to their mate dying. And there's something about the sense of, of being together, even, even when the marriage has ups and downs and so on, just the sense of another person. It, people tend to feel okay, and then they get married, and then their spouse is not around, there's a sense of loneliness. That's something that keeps it together. And the intense physical pleasure of being together keeps on um, keeps on reinforcing it. So we have the deeper inner neshama, which is really a, prans- a, pr- a process beyond our, our consciousness and awareness. There's the emotional sense that grows as time goes on. And then there's the physical incredible pleasure of being together. So on all levels, it's like when you have something that snaps in at every junction, it stays together. When a person, if a person's only sense of physical pleasure is with a particular person, then it's incredible. That means my sense of enjoyment. If a person is easy, and you know, on a, on a, on a, when a date means being together with somebody physically, then then it has then it loses its potency. It it no longer it's fine. It's not you. It'll be somebody else. What's the difference? It, it, we rob ourselves of the ability to have that unique relationship. I tell people a lot of times when, when, they, when they ask to explain to, um, to a co-worker who's not Jewish, not religious, why they refuse to touch a woman or a man. And, and, you know, so impure thoughts is not the type of thing that will get you very far and, and you know, that people will, will, will uh, buy into. But the one thing you can say is our, our bond <coughs> in marriage is meant to be personal and unique. And that's our personal space. People c- can understand that. In other words, that means because of, because of the relationship with my wife, we've excluded physical um, type of bonding with another woman or man, depending on the case. That's something that, is tr- that, that people can understand. So, whereas eating some chaza, there's no mitzvah to bond with the beef. So, so eating chaza and getting a taste for chaza is not going to take away from it. But the physical bond with your wife is part of what makes it unique. And, and, and therefore, having an outlet for that somewhere else is, is going to be a problem. One, there is a Zohar, fasting Zohar, and it takes some thinking to understand it. It, in it, there's a conversation between two people, and one asks the other, this, the, the sexual drive is so such a difficulty at Sahara. Why didn't the rabbis get together and abolish it? I assume it means more than a cold curry on the wall, 
we have now abolished the Yitzhah Hazor. It meant they would have done it like a Pavod I think a, a proclamation from the rabbis that we we now ban sexual thoughts might be not quite effective. Right? I think that's the... So the Zohar says, because if we wouldn't have that, then we would not have the joy of Torah study. In other words, at a very deep level, the the drive um, is is it has is, is this comes from the same source. Very hard for us to see it. Let me try to give an explanation where I think. Now, for us, it seems to be two very different, very very different um, in, enjoyments. The, the Torah speaks about um, ab- about having children and so on. The kifshuha. It speaks about conquest. Down deep, the male sexual drive is extremely aligned with conquest. And I don't know, without going into any details, but 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 it has a, it, it it has a deeper inner sense of it. And that's why a, a, a woman that not interests you a lot of times interests you a lot more because it's it's harder. The person, you know, it, it, it sort of it taps into the very deep root of a male desire of conquest. In an extraordinary different realm, Torah study is where there is something that's difficult to understand, something where I'm trying to get a handle on it when I'm arguing with somebody. You know, the sense of having conquered something. This is, this doesn't make sense. How does this fit? And when I finally come up with the formula of how it works, it taps very deep into that sense of conquest. Not easy for us to feel it instinctively, and that's why you know I'm adding it as a thought. Even without it, we we we, we you know, try to give a reason. But it, but the Zod does mention that somewhere deep, and that's why in traditionally in yeshivas and litvish yeshivas and chassidish yeshivas they spoke a lot about the evils of impure thoughts and things like that, and, and there was a lot of a lot of talk about and, and you know, trying to isolate the boys and so on. In the Litvish yeshivas, the focus was more to get them energized, to put their youthful energy into um, Torah study. So the, the, And the truth was there has been a movement to get married younger. Uh, when I was in yeshivas, the average age was 23, 24. Today it's come down to 21 and going... So, so there is some thought about that, but the point was to try and get the positive energy of being involved. There's a verse from the Kutzke Rebbe. The Kutzke Rebbe once said, "I'm not working at having my Hasidim not sin. I want them not to have the time to sin. In other words, I want them to be occupied and engaged in something, so that there's no empty space." You know, in their in their in their day, in their minds, in their heads, and, and the Rambam adds this. The Rambam says that the great antidote to to sexual challenge is the um, a heart filled with wisdom doesn't have room for anything else. So it means proactive when you push yourself and you proactively engage in understanding and learning. It tends to be that way. Question number four, is Judaism an inherently misogynistic religion? It's difficult to think a just God would have given us such a guideline to live our lives by. I would greatly appreciate your thoughts. Why do women have fewer mitzvahs? 
The, mitzvah, the mission in Sotas is teaching a woman Torah is like teaching her sexual indecency. We have the, uh, the blessing of Shalom Asani Isha. She can't give a get. There are gunos. She can't be a witness. We can't listen to her sing. In the Talmud, we learn a woman is like a chain around a man's neck. She can't read from the Torah. Can't be a rabbi or a religious leader of the community. Um, <laughs> I, 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 somebody, somebody really has done his learning. Somebody, somebody has. Uh, okay, so so let's unravel some. <laughs> we always start. Let's start with a. We start with a premise. The premise is, men and women are the same thing, and it, it, they're just a biological small difference, and everything else is exactly the same. And if we do stubbornly find differences in, in emotional and everything else, it's just because um, society has inculcated everything. It, it's, it, you know, it's come to an absurd, you know, it's like, I would say, if, if you can identify what you want to be, so there's no inherent difference. So, so what, what does that mean? What does man and woman mean if anybody, if anybody can do whatever they want? It, it doesn't make any sense. But, but let's, let's talk about it in the big picture. The only thing, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created man, the only thing HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the only thing we, the Torah writes about the physical description is Zachon Ekeva Baruch Kashpoke them male and female. Doesn't say how tall we are, doesn't say what intelligence we have, doesn't say anything in the Torah, no description except male and female. Why? I, I mean, it, it, it's a So it's just a created people where everyone knows it. there's men and women, there's tall and there's short, there's, 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 there's dark haired, there's bald and there's blonde, and everything in between. What, what, and what, like, why this description? It's, you want to speak of men, say they're intelligent, they have free will, whatever you want. So Zohar Unikeva means HaKadosh Baruch Hu created two different types of people. That's exactly what it says in the Pasuk. And both are equal, equally, e- equally necessary, but different. Um, Zohar Unikeva are two different types of people, and both one without the other is not a person. A man without a woman, or a woman without a man, is not a person. They come together in a certain way. Now, the fact that men and men can't come together means because they're the same. And they're not going to create that entity that a man and woman creates. Those differences are, can't be only physical, because that's kind of irrelevant. Then it's not Zohar Nekeva. So, like I said, tall and short strong and weak. I, I, there's a lot of ways you can do it. It means there's something incredibly different. This touches on a very different relationship in the most deepest of ways, and that is man and God. Man and God, to be equal, to be the same, means you can't really bond. The only way you can bond, let's take a physical example so, so we catch it again. When you want to st- join two pieces of wood, you can glue them together, and it's okay. It sticks together. But a much better way of doing it, and that's why you make furniture that way, is you have a male and female component, and you stick one into the other, and then it holds very strong, because one is complementing the other. Where this has, where this is missing, this has filling, and where this and where this is missing, this has filling. A way in which two people complement each other. 
so that there's so that there is a certain shlemus. Akadish Baruch Hu, Hashem created the world, and humanity is a complement. Why Hashem needed it, no idea. But the point is, all of Shir Hashem, which is Song of Songs, portrays that, portrays our relation of Hashem as male and female, because that's that's the form of bonding. Um, so so we, we have two different types of people. They're shleimus. Each one becomes perfected through the other person. And each one's role is going to be different. Um, I always say a healthy home does not have two parents echoing the same thing. A healthy home has a father who says, listen, we made a deal. Once you didn't listen, and I've you know, I, 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 I said, okay, a second time, and I told it this time it's for real, the third time, you have to suffer the consequences, that's life. And the mother says, please give him just one more chance. <laughs> it's, it, a child has to hear two voices, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has two voices. There's Midas Hadin, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a vatra, and the person says HaKadosh Baruch Hu is soft, and you can sort of fudge, then, then he loses it all. And Akarish Baruch Hu is Kel Rachum Bechanun and overcomes. A person has to a, a real sense of things is is um, cerebral and emotional. If a relationship, so if a person let's take marriage, if a person approaches marriage just because he's sort of in a very good mood, he meets this girl and she puts him in a great mood. There's no thinking about what this person is what makes sense for me, what's challenging for me. It's just like, wow, we hit it off and it's fantastic. That's silly. It's not, it's not, a, good, it's not, it's not a, a, a good recipe. On the other hand, when, when a, um, if it's just, okay, makes a lot of sense, great. That's good for hiring people at the office. It's not good for marrying. If, if, if everything works on paper, but you just don't have any chemistry with the person, it's not marriage. Let's take the Gemara says, one more example. The Gemara says, that a child inherits the bone matter from the father and the flesh blood from the mother. What it means is the bones are what give us the immutable structure. Take a piece of flesh and put it down on the counter. It's, 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 it's protoplasm. It's an amoeba. It's shapeless. It, 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 it's, it's a blob. It's got no, it's got no self. A person without a backbone, we, we use the expression, is because he, he bends and drifts with the wind as it comes. When, so a, a father and a father figure gives that sense of principle, immutable, and seichel. What a mother does is, on the other hand, a skeleton is great. It's immutable, it doesn't bend, but nobody wants to hug a skeleton. It's, it's cold, it's dead, it's it's it's, um, it's 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 metallic kind of. When you have flesh and blood on it, you have warmth, you have flexibility, you have things that make it human. So so the combination of the two is what makes a person. These are contradictory. The skeleton is brittle, and doesn't you know inflexible, and cold, and structured. The flesh and blood is the exact opposite, and together it's what makes it. Men is male and female, and the Torah prescribed specific roles for each one. Now, there is no place that says a woman can be an engineer. 
and so it, it was there was a chauvinist strain in society that women shouldn't be an engineer. But the flip side is to force women to go into engineering because it, they should be engineers. They shouldn't be um, teachers. They should be engineers because they should be exactly the same. That's also. There was a woman, her, her husband was one of the big Balachuva in Russia. He was the one who created the Truven expert. She was an engineer in Russia. I don't know if she repaired tracks or, or, or something, uh, or elevators, something like that. She was an engineer in some... They came to here, and he, he, he began teaching. She took a job selling stuff in a store, like in a sort of a clothing store. And I asked her, you know, I thought the engineer, she said, 30 years being a man is enough. I'd like to be a woman from now on. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, and it was, she was sincere. She said, I, I don't like working with things. I want to work with people, and I like things that are beautiful, and not things that are strong. And, you know, I'm, thank God it's over. So, so the, 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 the general role of a man and woman, and there's a reason why leadership, some of the things we can understand, some things not. Some things we do understand, some things we will understand, and some things we won't understand. But, but the very the premise of society that there is no difference is wrong. If you don't believe in a creator, then you also, I mean, it, it, there's a reason to say that everything in society, women are physically weaker because society made them so. Women are more emotional because society made them so. Women are more compassionate because society made them so. Um, men are tougher, maybe, but the burden of proof is there. We believe there's a creator. And when it's written in the Torah that way, so finding those appropriate roles, some of it is etched in stone, some of it not. Like, you know, if, she, if, if a woman is inclined to be an engineer, she wants to be, by all means, there's no reason not. But but to twist things around, and, and that's why if we, if Torah is something that um, I would guess at the reason, because Torah has to be weighed and decided by logic, even when it's tough, emotionally. Um, so a woman adds Yiddishkeit. Most people who, who think of, of, of who connect to Yiddishkeit, it's because of the mother. The last thing to go is, is remembering the mother benching licht, remembering the mother's kindness. The Rebbe Nebuchadnezzar says that the reason why when Torah was given, the, it was called Somal Beis Yaakov, the Sagal that the reason why the women are the ones who had the first message. Yeah, it says, in, in the next week's parasha, it says Moshe was told, go speak to the house of Jacob, which is the women. We, we assume to be women. That's why the modern Beis Yaakov movement is, is called Beis Yaakov. And so shall you proclaim to Israel, which is the men. The word proclaim is much stronger, tougher. And it says the women get a soft language, the men get a strong language. It's not. It's, it's because the women's Judaism is the softness of it, the brace of it, the warmth of it. And Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says that the reason why they're first is because a child's first bond with Yiddishkeit is going to be through a mother. And, if, and a father's toughness can sometimes be counterproductive, sometimes can be at loggerheads with a child. A mother's warmth and embrace and her sincere Yiddishkeit is something that very few people can break with. Even the, 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 the stoutest atheist will, will, will mush when he remembers his mother's Yiddishkeit. So they both have a critical role in developing the next generation, but they're different roles. 
Yeah. What are the key differences between modern orthodoxy and Haredi and the Haredi communities, <coughs> and do you see relevance and or advantages in modern orthodoxy? So, we don't want to so many modern orthodox people here, do we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so let's talk about uh, about titles that the problem is when you put a label on something you tend to slap it on a huge group with very different ideas and, and so on. Let's take one example. Here's a person who, besides Torah, feels it's important to be, A, um, up-to-date with modern knowledge, science, etc. It's important to have the tools to integrate the society around you. We can't, closing ourselves off in a ghetto and isolating ourselves creates a lot of pressures that we can't live with. And, and so... I will learn Torah, know a lot of Torah, keep the mitzvahs very strongly, but know, understand the knowledge the world has to offer and, and be able to function within a world around. That's one type, one type of person that describes themselves as modern orthodox. A second person grew up from, he, he kind of is attached to it. He likes a lot about the world has to offer. He likes the beaches, the food, the this, that, the other thing. He does not like to be burdened. He doesn't have a real tam in Yiddishkeit. But he, uh, tam means uh, he, he doesn't really appreciate or enjoy Yiddishkeit. So I- his conscience bothers him, and he's willing to do a minimal needed to keep himself in, in, in the fold. That is also described as non-Orthodox. These are two very different people. S- unfortunately, both carry the same label. So if we're talking about a person who's Torah learning is solid. Whose commitment to mitzvahs is, even if it's inconvenient, solid. Um, and his hashkafa is that person needs to have a breadth of knowledge. Person needs to have the, the, the wherewithal of functioning. And it's good to encourage people. This way, there are many advantages for it. That is a legitimate approach. And whether it's my approach or not, but... If, if, if the person, if the people are genuine, this is a, 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 and there were Torah people who had that approach, then this is another valid approach. On the other hand, if there's a sense that the person looks for the easiest psak and and just wants, um, he, you know, he wants a way out, then then, you know, it's I'm not judging that person, but I certainly don't think that that's an approach that I can say is equally valid. You know, there was somebody. I used to teach in Isha Torah many years ago. I'm allowed to mention competing organizations, right? That's yeah, fine. Very, very, very good. Now you're here. Now I'm here. <laughs> so I was in Isha Torah a few days ago. So, um, so there was a, a young man there who had a, a he grew up conservative in a, in a sort of positive, traditional way, so he knew a lot. He really wanted to um, grow in Yiddish. He wanted to go in Torah study more than anything else. He did not particularly want to become more from or something like that. So he would come to Yeshiva, he studied, he was very studious and liked it. But Shabbos, he would disappear to cousins who were marginally orthodox, I guess. I don't, I don't know, I don't think about them, but that's the way he described it. They were very worried that he would become too involved in Yiddishkeit. They kept telling him, don't be too from, don't be too from, don't be too from. Okay. One day as he was leaving, they told him, wherever it says in Shachon Aruch, B'diavit, meaning if he did it this way, then okay, you, 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 it's, it's okay, it's not the way you should do it, but if you did it, that's, uh, you know, that, then you've fulfilled it, 
that's what you should always do. You should always do what it says is in. And he said something, he had like an epiphany. He turned around and said, guys, if you don't feel like doing it, why, why are you doing it? In other words, he was somebody that hadn't been keeping mitzvahs. So if he was going to keep it, because they're very meaningful. So why do I want to keep cutting a corner? Why is that my attitude? And, and then this person went on to, um, he went on afterwards, he learned the mirror, he was a Makara for many years. He's a businessman, he's a very special person. But, but the, in other words, under the word, just like on the other extreme, People who are kanoim, meaning zilats, it includes people that really care and their heart bleeds when they see something terrible, some koloshabas or whatever it is, to people that have real anger management issues and, 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 and they get a, a, an emotional thrill from being, for, from rioting. Both are included under the same title. And, and that's, we have a problem because when we label groups, just like Zionism includes so many groups, the word modern orthodox includes two types. Some people would consider me modern orthodox. I wear a short jacket, I wear a tie, speak English. And, and, and I'm serious. You know, it, it, I'm not, you know, some people tolerate my Yiddishkeit. I'm you know, okay with that. But, but, but the point is, the, the measuring rod is really how much, um, how, much of the person, how much will the person want to stop at something and say, this not. This is wrong. Am I willing to, you know, to, it, it does, it, does at the end of the day, does the Torah have the final say? So people, people who have that attitude, th- that's another approach, it's ha- and it's had um, some successes that, you know, that, that came out because of that approach. Yeah. Um, does but I just wanted one more thing. When you speak about people whose quote-unquote modern orthodoxy is just because they don't want to hold on to more. Invariably, children are much weaker. You can't grow up in a home where they're doing things because they'd rather not do it, but emotionally they cannot go of it. The next generation finds it easy to let go of emotionally. The same way, like once upon a time, intermarriage. I remember there were people who, who, who couldn't keep any, didn't keep any mitzvahs, but when their, their child came home and said, I'd like to marry somebody not of the faith, they said, over my dead body. So why? Because they're not Jewish. So, are they bad people? No. But they're not Jewish. They said, well, you eat the same things, you go to the same places, you do the same things, what's the problem? But they're not Jewish. But what is Jewish? Well, well, well they're just not Jewish. They, they never made a lox and bagel in their life. I don't know. what they, they, they don't, it, it doesn't, you, you can't keep... Anything that's not a sincere commitment on your part, you're going to have a problem. So a person who's, quote-unquote, again, we're using a label, modern taxi is a very proactive, I'm not I learned, I know, halacha is halacha. I, I, and, and the other things I do, I do because I feel it's the right thing to do. A child, it can, it can keep on going because it's a valid cheetah. When it's more of a sort of cop-out, I can't, I'm not going to let go of it, I have feelings about it, but... I would really rather not. Trump picks that up, and it's very hard to raise the next generation like that. It, it tends to peter out as time goes on. Next question. Does Hashem have <coughs> or perceive emotions? If he doesn't, then why does it matter that we are joyful while serving him and not just that we do the right things? So, the concept of emotion, the Ramam says clearly, we cannot ascribe to God, not in the context that we understand let, let me let me give you let's give an example that'll be helpful maybe. And again, all these examples are always just uh, analogies. I don't have a way of we don't have any way of assessing. 
when when you're on a computer and the computer says it crashed and it has a sad face crying. <laughs> it, it, um, you know, it makes that face shucks or whatever it is. I, don't, I know that, that comes out sometimes when I when I when I go to a website that's no longer working. Whatever has a very sorry face. Um, so is the computer sad or not? Well, the, it's trying to convey that no no use just not just pushing enter again again is not going to help. It's it's off. It, it, it's me- it's using a tool of emotions to um, to to convey something. By the way, just as a parenthetical remark, I, I got a rude awakening about how out of tune I am when um, the oldest granddaughter of, uh, of our second daughter, the oldest daughter of our second daughter, got engaged. Her ten-year-old sent out a message to the whole family. No emoji could possibly express what I feel now. So, like, <laughs> I, 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 like I said, well, I'm, I'm really out of out of the loop, like you know. <laughs> but but the point is that sour face is a way for, and and that's why when you want to make an interface that for a child, for instance, um, writing on a on a bottle, poison, don't drink, is not going to do the trick. A very scary face will do the trick because that speaks. So we use the attribute of anger and so on to describe um, Hashem's relationship. It's true in the sense that the message that's conveyed is true. So, so the same way when somebody's angry at me, it's because why when somebody gets angry at me do I get so hurt or upset? Because I want to relate to somebody. And when the person expresses to me that I messed up and didn't do a good job, I, I feel bad. So it's conveying something. Personal emotion. Let's talk about joy. This is very important. I, as a human being, do have emotions. And the emotions describe a deep part of myself. When I'm happy with something, it means the thing is very intensely meaningful to me. So, for instance... If my business feels succeeded, I feel very happy because success in business is, is what I'm living for. So when a person does things without joy, these actions are not um, really meaningful to me. Emotions express how deep down is that action to me. And, um, and, and that's why we need to express emotion, and, and until we haven't expressed emotion, we're lacking. But it's not a shem in, in, in that sense. There's so many things to learn. Daf Yomi, Halacha Yomi, Parsha Shavua, about the Moadim as they come. Musr, classic and new um, books and, and ideas. How should one prioritize in learning? So first thing is having a personal Rebbe is a very important because it has a lot to do with the person. It's so hard. This, this is a question that really without a Rebbe is very, very hard to determine. In broad strokes, very broad strokes, a person needs to learn some halacha every day so that we just know what to do. A person needs to learn often enough some musa that will inspire you, something of, of, of inspirational nature, whether it's once a day, once a week, twice a week, it's something, those are things. And then there's learning Torah, which t- 
to us is primarily through the Gemara, but it's not depending on where a person is holding. Some people are can learn comfortably, some people are Mishnayas. But those are three, in other words, there's the Halacha Lomaisa, meaning practically what I should do, get familiar with the Halacha, even, even if I end up asking the questions, but the questions are intelligent and I know what to ask. Two, something that keeps me inspired and it ranges a huge amount of sperm. Very hard. Everyone, everyone at different times, I have different sperm at different times have, have, have inspired me. And then there is learning Torah, which primarily would be Gemara and at, at the depth that you can possibly plumb. But anything, any, any other direction that asking a Rebbe is really important. It's just so difficult. And Baruch Hashem, we have a wealth of riches today. We have so much published in so many different ways. You know, thank God there's something to it, and we just have to choose wisely what to look at. I'm just going to follow up on that. And a person who does not get any geschmack out of learning Gemara, let's say they went to Yeshiva for a year or two, and they never really clicked with Gemara, it's painful for them. Do they have to continue learning Gemara? I would say minimally Mishnah, at least, so that a person gets acquainted with the fullness of Torah, um, so that we, we know something about everything. We understand, um, you know, what, what the halachas of Isha about, what halachas is. And, and I would say minimally. Again, if somebody is excruciating that, but it helps give you the right picture. Everything has its roots in the Gemara. So all halachas draw their roots in the Gemara. Even Musa has to be based on some sort of Gemara, Medrash. So, so I would strongly urge something like Mishnah. Um, it's very helpful. A lot of times if someone, you hear it explained, you know, you hear, you hear recordings of people explaining it. At least putting aside 15 minutes a day to learn um, so that you've covered at least once all of the points of Shach, which means minimally the Mishnah. What is the main mission of our generation? <laughs> I'm not a prophet, and uh, I, I let me let, let, let's go back to something. Yaakov Avinu wanted to reveal the kates, the end of days, to his children. Blanked, he blanked out, and instead gave them a blessing. So, like, they don't seem to us to be like the same thing. It's like, like this instead of that. My children once had a joke about somebody once came, he went to buy an airplane. And, you know, when, when he spoke prices, he realized he didn't have enough money, so instead he bought a case of tuna fish. Like, you know, like obviously, his, his, you know, the amount of money in, in, in question. What was that? He, he wanted to tell him Sheikh's coming instead of getting brachets. So I think that what he wanted was to direct them what's the mission. And the right way to do it is I tell you. Um, where are you going to? As the, the wise men of all Yogi Berry once said, if you don't know where you're going, you're going to get there very quickly. So he won't tell them where you're going to. And he blanked out, because Brock said, that's not the way we're going to do it. Look into yourself, find out your co-hosts, and develop them. And he gave each one a bracha to develop from eternity. It's very hard. In, in, in retrospect, we can look back. But I think looking around, what do we have at our... our what, what do we have... We have an extraordinary shefa. We have so much material. We have so much information. We have so many tools. And yet, the world is not an incredibly happy world. Um, if, if, if things, if people would describe, would describe to me when I was a child what the world like today, we'd say, wow, this must be a super happy world. 
means that I can type something in and instantly it happens. I don't have to budge from my chair and everything gets delivered and, and I, can, I can do everything and anything. And it's not. So w- finding real value, in, we're, we're bombarded with so much ease and understanding that real value in, in means bringing something deep in, from inside out, doing things that are difficult, that are hard, that are, let, let me tell you something. I, I, I want to. There were two. There were two things, two items that struck me, and I found it very. They seem to be unrelated items. I was once reading. I think it was The Economist. It, um, they had about toxic workplaces, workplaces that are very difficult to work for. I don't remember if they re- reviewed the book or they just saw an article that Amnesty International is the most horrible places to work for. Internally. It doesn't not the, what you see outside, but the organi- the institution itself is organization. I have no idea uh, I assume there must be something to it. One. Two, there was this fellow who just his, his empire collapsed, his cryptic his uh, coin his bitcoins collapsed and, and so on. And he was this young multi billionaire of the new generation. He was going to do effective altruism. He was going to work by effective altruism and he had no problem, I guess he was wanting to be Mazaka people with altruism, stealing you know, hundreds of millions of dollars from people. Uh, um, and so, what's the shot? The people, were, were they hypocritical? Were they insincere? What is it? What, what, what does it mean? These are two... I don't think that that's true. I think that people think of kindness and altruism as external, an act to change the world, to make a difference is that. But learning how to get along with the guy sitting next to you who irritates you, who gets you nerves, is not part of it. That's why people don't like to get married. Because, A, we can, I can have all the fun I need without getting married, and why do I need some nudnik attached to me all the time? I, I can do what I want when I want. To get along with people in a workplace takes working on me this. There's no, there's no concept of that. So autism, yes, there are people in Africa that are starving, what about my next door neighbor who needs attention, who needs some help? Man, he's just a nudge. He just, just you know, he's spoiled. What about this guy over here? Understanding that real change in my own personality is not that when I die and I have fifty billion dollars in my ledger, I can and, and I leave forty billion dollars with my name all over. That's that's greatness and kindness. It's not. It starts with the person himself, and that's what Yiddishkeit is about. That. To be a good person is not the change I make in the world. It's when somebody needs help. And I, you know what? I'm a little tight on the money. I could manage without it. But, I, you know, why should he get the new computer? I want to get the new computer. But he really needs it, and I don't. To be able to share with the person, to be able to give. Those are, those are the changes in a person. And I think that that's, in the big picture, it's been glossed over. There's so much coming out, and everybody's bombastic and talking about big things. When... We don't deal with the with the with the nitty gritty, um, and it's just like I guess maybe I'm old school. People talk about the big sweeping philosophies of science, but sitting down and doing the equations itself and really doing step by step the experiments, the equations, etc. That's old school, and we want to talk about the grand ideas. It's great. Grand ideas are great when you when you know what you're talking about, and, and so to me that's a sort of a, a, a sense of of where we're getting lost. That's my personal sense. It's um, you know I can't tell you that it's based on scientific studies. I can't tell you it's based on, anything, but I, to me that's a hagasha. How do you fight your tithes aside from studying Torah? 
So there's an Evan Ezra. There's an interesting Evan Ezra. He Evan Ezra um, speaks about losachmod, not craving, and includes both women and money and so on. And yes, how does the Torah mandate not craving? I mean, you know, we crave because we crave. And he gives an exa- a marshal. I'll, I'll, I'll translate a little bit now in terms. When I walk by, I don't know, um, a, an incredible mansion, a hundred million dollar mansion, I don't really have Los Ahmed. I, I may gawk and I may as well, but I don't really feel jealousy in that sense because it's not for me. When my next door neighbor has just redone his house and added another two rooms and it's nice and, and great, that's not jealous because it could be me. In other words, a person's mind first builds a sense of who I am and what I am and then I crave. Let's take another example. Imagine someone introduced me, this is the world-class pianist. He's famous. Kings have him play for him. And this and that. I'm very, very pleased to meet you. I wow and so on and so forth. It's, it's what, a, what an honor and so on. Am I jealous? No. I don't play piano. I don't play anything. I, I, it doesn't, it's not my world. I don't care for it. Even in Tivus, if a person builds a sense of... There's two parts in Tivus. There's the physical craving right now, and then there's the sense of, of, of I've accomplished, I've conquered, I've gotten. The first one is easier. The second one, where I identified my sense of self, and I'm living a life. I'm living a life. I have what I want. I get what I want. I satisfy my cravings. That's a much deeper and much harder tough route. When a person builds a picture, when I build a picture of a strong person, as a person who's disciplined, and when he doesn't want something, he says no. When I see people, let's say I see people, let's say, you know, an open buffet. One person loves every piece of it, and grabs every piece of it, and if somebody tells him you can't touch this or this or this, he feels robbed or cheated. It's not only that he wants to touch, he feels robbed. A second person admires, look at him, he walked in, schmoozed, he's not grabbing anything, he's fine, he, 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 you know, he's, he's in control of himself. I admire that. The more I focus on that admiration, the more everything falls into line. Because I'm a strong person. I don't, I mean, just because there's food spread out, I'm, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I decide what I want and when I want. I, I have pride, I have dignity. It, when a person reinforces his sense of Adam through thinking, it helps a lot in putting the taiva as a very local thing than rather all-encompassing. For the person who, you know, who feels cheated, if someone's not letting him touch some of the foods, if, if our doctor or worse, our wife doesn't let us touch this or that because it's unhealthy, w- w- besides not having the food, we feel we've been deprived. Uh, and when a person, on the other hand, sees a sense of, of this is me. I can walk in and, and, and I say no to myself, and that's it. Building that sense of inner strength is helpful. Now, maybe so last question. Um, um, how can one effectively prioritize Torah learning and not get distracted by temporary pleasures such as watching TV or movies? So, a lot of times, create. I mean, in, 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 I know now that, for instance, in the, um, in the States, you know, when they have the... Um, remote work work workplace it has a lot of challenges such as the TV and uh, and everything else in the kitchen and 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 uh, some of the advice is to create artificial spaces 
this is the room that I only work in. 9 o'clock or 9.30 or whatever it is, I only sit there and don't go up until a certain time. You start with artificial boundaries that from 9 to 10, nothing else happens, um, and so on. As time goes on, it becomes part of your personality. You're able to sort of compartmentalize, even without creating those bad. But uh, that's why learning in a base medrash is so conducive. There are other people learning, it's dynamic, and, and it's also mentally, this is the base medrash. That's why a cell phone, you know, a smartphone going off in a, in a, or a cell phone going off in a base medrash is disruptive. It, it brings the outside in. So cr- creating artificially spaces and times that are not up to grips is very helpful. I think we'll, yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, and listen, it's amazing. People are really dealing with life issues and, and, and taking them head on. It's really very, very special. It's, it's for people who've come from one world to another world, being able to bring those issues to head and tackle them is really amazing. And then, Baruch um, Hashem, uh, I hope everyone's very much there, Baruch Hashem. And, uh, you know, we've seen over the years so much, so much good has come out over here. Okay.